Support for Bartholomew Town comes from Commonwealth Care Alliance Rhode Island, delivering uncommon care to Rhode Islanders, and the University of Rhode Island online. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, so on a day with a major announcement with respect to uh, shelters here in Rhode Island and in a situation where there's a lot of chatter about housing stemming from even the Superman building conversation, we welcome the Secretary of Housing here in Rhode Island, Josh Saul. How are you doing, sir? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here today. Of course. So let's begin with this announcement that came out today. I have it in front of me, the press release from the governor's office. The first round of funding through a $5 million solicitation for shelter expansion will support six separate projects across Rhode Island. Talk about the project specifically, and then we can start looking at you know, the, the crisis of the unhoused as a whole and yeah. you know, the underlying causes. No, definitely. There's a lot of work to be done in the long run, but we recognize the amount of homelessness and the number of people that are unhoused right now. So immediately we did a solicitation uh, to increase the shelter capacity by 231 beds. And that's just the start, really. We're, it's the first step, uh, but we have, what we have to do is really look at the root causes uh, of homelessness and divert people from homelessness. You have a lot of folks coming from corrections institutions, from having a mental illness and then ending up homeless, and it becomes much more harder to treat the root causes. And what we need to do is really divert them from that shelter system, get them the help they need, and get permanent supportive housing. So we're not talking about the number of unhoused, we're talking about the people that we are housing through our, our system. What about the the six projects, so to speak, that are described? Can you go through those and what they represent? Yeah, so the six projects are a mix of shelter. Um, when you're building shelter, you have non-congregate settings and congregate settings. Basically, a congregate setting is, means you have lots of people in one room, right, similar to Harrington Hall. And a non-congregate set, setting gives you a little more privacy where you can actually stay in the shelter uh, during the day and you're not kicked out in the morning. Uh, we are focusing right now on non-congregate because we have found in talking to people with lived experience, meaning they've gone through homelessness with the people who are doing street outreach, is that a lot of people on the street do not want a shelter bed in a congregate setting. They've maybe suffered through some sort of traumatic event, or they might have a mental illness or behavioral health issue, uh, such as paranoia, and those large settings are just not an appropriate place to get them to interact with the system Again, to get them the help they need, the supports, the housing resources, so we can get them back into permanent housing. So what we really did through these six different projects is looked at how we can build shelter for families that need to be in non-congregate settings, because you can't have them in one large setting, right? Uh, uh, victims of domestic violence, uh, as well as other populations that, um, that would benefit from that non-congregate setting type of shelter. There was a press release sent out. It was sent out earlier this week that details a protest that's going to take place next week on Monday. And they're demanding that Governor McKee declare a state of emergency and provide emergency shelter to unsheltered in Rhode Island. This this protest, uh, again, this came out before today's announcement. Do you think that the announcement today satisfies or meets the demands, if you're aware of this protest, I should say, but do you believe that it satisfies the demands that, that are requested by this um you know, this this uh, broad group of folks on the Rhode, Island, the Rhode Island Homeless Advocacy Project and DARE and so on and so forth. And what are the next steps? Because obviously, even the great strides that are taken with today's announcement are not going to, you know, it's not a swing and 
knock it out of the park as a whole yeah. on the acute problem of housing people for this winter as we enter the cold months. That's right. And what I look, what I'm focusing on is building a coalition of the willing people who are willing to address the problems with the system as a whole. That doesn't mean we haven't, we don't have an issue now. And we do have a crisis where there's too many people who are unhoused on the street. And to be frank, one person on the street is one person unhoused that is beyond what's acceptable. In the big picture, though, we need to think about why are they becoming homeless, right? No one was born into homelessness. They each had a family, a house at one point, And we have to think where in our system, where in our uh, health system, where in our housing system have we failed uh, to make the right interventions and to provide the supports that we're now having to build more shelter because of this unhoused population. And you can really understand this simply, right? Think about someone who's about to lose their home because they might have an emergency medical bill that's $400. It's much more effective to give them that assistance of $400 once than to have them become homeless, be on the street, and start paying for shelter beds, which are very expensive over the long run. Sure. So we need to shift our system so that we are diverting people from homelessness, preventing evictions, and making sure that no one becomes homeless. And on the flip side, when it does happen, because there will always be some people that become homeless, we need to focus on getting them permanent supportive housing when that's the appropriate setting. There are too many people in our homelessness system that our shelter is serving as a triage system, right? It's like the triage for some of the populations that are most vulnerable. Uh, they might have had experience um, coming from like justice-involved populations, uh, youth aging out of foster care, really difficult situations that we need to provide the full supportive services. And the only way to do that is to build housing and to create housing opportunities with full wraparound services that serve this population. Obviously, the, the crisis of the unhoused and so on and so forth is a major, major issue. It's something that is, you know, it's it's a travesty. It's a tragic element of our society and so on and so forth. We could go on about this probably for 24 hours straight. Yeah. The housing crisis is far greater than just those who are unhoused, though. I mean, we look at the home prices right now. If you're trying to purchase, rents are extremely high. We're seeing rent increases that have taken place. Marry that with some utility increases. And then today we see an announcement, uh, or not an announcement, a report from WPRI that there's a $20 million tax, $29 million city tax break coming for the Superman building. Republican gubernatorial candidate Ashley Kalis puts out a statement saying that the Superman building cost proves to be taxpayers' kryptonite. I've made the argument that while the Superman building is, it's an important project because it's it's a great opportunity for super sectors we're trying to attract here in the city and the types of people we're trying to retain at the end of the day, you know, it's more oriented towards tech meds and eds and trust fund people than it is the average person who's living in Elmwood right now and says, hey, I want a new apartment. I mean, let's be honest about it. So how do we both construct housing that's ideal for people who are looking to be a part of these new super sectors in Providence and make sure that the people who are already here have a place to live because they can both exist simultaneously? That's a great, great question. And a lot of the times people think this is a zero sum game, right. right? Because you're developing one unit that's market rate. You're not developing an affordable unit. That's, that's just the wrong way to look at it. Uh, what we need to do is just build more units, period. We need to create a housing future that strengthens communities across the state. 
and ensures that all Rhode Islanders have an accessible, affordable space to call home. So when you talk about buildings that are higher priced, right, uh, let's just think about a situation where uh, perhaps there's a, a lawyer, right, who used to live in Boston, makes tons of money, $200,000, something like that, whatever lawyers make these days, um, and they decide since now they're working hybrid only one day a week, they want to move to Providence because they love the food scene here. I have to say myself, I think the restaurants in Providence are much, much better than Boston, but maybe that's my own bias. Um, but someone like that, if they don't have, when they're looking for housing, there's no market, right? Even at, uh, at of market rate housing, what are they going to do? They're going to go and look for the next best thing. And that's probably a rental unit in a triple decker that used to be affordable. And now that another person who would usually live in that rental unit in a triple decker that was affordable is priced out. So every housing unit will increase the supply, which actually stabilizes our housing situation right. and make sure that we have that equitable future, that no matter what your income is, that you have a place to call home here in Rhode Island. Yeah. And I mean, what good is, is any project in the state if, if people can't afford to live here? I mean, obviously the people who are already here would enjoy any project infrastructure or otherwise, or education or whatever it may be, but it's a, it's a pivotal, pivotal, obvious discussion that a lot of people can't afford to live in Rhode Island right now. And a lot of people who are born here and moved here have put roots down are struggling. Do you think in the next decade we're going to correct this problem it's hard to imagine it's going to be corrected overnight i know a lot of people who are waiting for there to be a housing crash you look at newport right now i mean try buying a place there or even renting there a lot of people that i know uh, having spent a lot of time there millennials even gen x and gen z they're saying hey you know i can't wait until the, the market crashes and people are in over their heads and they're desperate and having to sell off so i can get a place that's not a good state of affairs either no and i don't think we should count on you know it would be we want to do invest money so we can build, fix, and stabilize the housing stock. And that's really what's going to stabilize the prices. So we have no matter what generation you're in, whether you're a baby boomer who's retired and maybe looking to downsize, or whether you're uh, having your second job after college and you're looking for a starter home with your partner and looking to have kids, it really affects the whole population from people who are homeless to people who are, uh, you know, elderly and looking for a place that's appropriate and accessible uh, and serves their needs. So again, if we don't build that housing, though, uh, across all income levels and across needs, we won't have those opportunities. It's a good thing, right, that people want to move to Rhode Island. For the longest time, I think people, you know, would kind of skip over the state, right? Companies would say, oh, Rhode Island, why would I want to move there? And a lot of that meant that we had a cheaper housing stock, which is sure. good because there wasn't as much demand. But I don't think building new units uh, by any means creates higher prices. In fact, it drives down prices. So the more units that we build, even if they're a higher price, it frees up the housing stock that already exists and makes and really lifts all, all people to make sure that they have safe and quality affordable housing. Going back as we wrap up here with Josh Saul, the uh, Secretary of Housing here in Rhode Island, going back to the the unhoused scenario. I mean, I remember last year we had, you know, people were complaining about use of the Nilo Hotel for shelter beds, and you know, it's just it's 
a sad state of affairs sometimes in this conversation because there's a lot of nimbyism that takes place um, where people are more than happy to say, hey, you know, I support the homeless or I'm the charitable person or whatever it may be. But then when it enters into their communities, especially in proximity of their domicile or whatever it may be, all of a sudden that tune changes. What's your message to Rhode Islanders right now about, you know, just being truly open to resolving this problem, even if it means that people in your community uh, are going to have um, you or people in your community are going to have some kind of shelter um, established or expanded in your area? I think that we have to recognize that people experiencing homelessness are brothers, our sisters, our uncles, our aunts, our parents, right? Uh, and they are part of the community. They're part of, there's actually people who have become homeless in every single city and town in Rhode Island. Uh, they're residents here, they're part of our communities that have fallen through the crack and are suffering through the worst time in their lives. And one thing that this administration and my office has really emphasized is reaching out more to the local leadership to explain what measures we're going to take uh, to try to come up with solutions and collaborate and make sure that um, we are not affecting uh, general uh, conditions and that the, that the neighbors won't be that upset. But we have to be a little bit brave and think, Stop thinking that everything that comes next to me, whether it's a shelter or a new uh, apartment building, is going to negatively impact neighbors, right? You have great examples of developments. There's one in East Greenwich called Brookside Terrace, one of the most expensive parts of, uh, of Rhode Island. And guess what? That hasn't driven down any cost of housing. In fact, right. it's just as expensive and not more expensive since it was built. So we can show that affordable housing that all these investments actually benefit our communities, that's how we get people on board. And those who are supporting new housing, we have to get to the town meetings, we have to show up to the planning boards, and we have to tell our neighbors. I mean, if you're going, even uh, if you're going to church or um, a mosque or synagogue, and you're speaking about the social needs and how important it is to help your neighbors, housing is one of those needs. And it, we need to really build coalitions and emphasize that. So we can advance and help Rhode Islanders who are very much in need. And so we can create a state where people have economic opportunity and that housing costs aren't holding them back from fulfilling and living a fruitful life as Rhode Islanders. Josh Saul, he's Rhode Island Secretary of Housing. Thanks so much for your time and good luck with the rollout of this plan. Thank you, Bill.